0: Thankful. Now, as I was sitting here in worship today, the Lord kept just bringing to my mind burdens that I had. And I don't know if you've ever been in that moment where you just think about the burdens you have. And I was grateful as I thought about these burdens that, that are on my heart even now. I'm grateful that I'm not the king of my life, that I'm not the king of this church, this world Uh, my family Um, and I was just thinking about how grateful I am that I have a king let's think about who the Lord is the Bible reveals God reveals himself in his word His, his name is I am think about that I am that means he always is he always will be he's always present with us and how how crazy it is in my own life when I think about have those thoughts that I'm in control, that I'm in charge of my destiny, my life. If you have your Bibles, we're in First Samuel, and, and and keep your keep your Bibles open here to chapters one and two. And, and and this morning, if if you were, I want us to practice something we learned on Wednesday. If you were not a part of our our class on Wednesday and you're available, I would encourage you to come on Wednesday nights for the next three three more weeks. Rob Lewis and I are are, are kind of talking through hermeneutics. How do you interpret the Bible? How do you understand the scriptures? And so here we are in the book of First Samuel. Uh, this is a king's tale, we're calling this, because it's, it's a tale of, uh, of God being replaced as king. And God establishing a physical kingdom in on the earth through His people. Now, now let's practice a little bit. We 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 looked on Wednesday night. It's important when you when you study the Bible, you determine the genre of Scripture. Well, what is the genre of this passage? Uh, Think about it. Remember the genres. There's, there's six of them. We have the narrative. Is this historical narrative? Is it poetry? Is it song? Is it, is it apocalyptic literature? Is it prophecy? Is it, is it an epistle? What, what is this? What do you think? What? Historical narrative. My wife right there. Good job, honey. And uh, uh, historical narrative. Okay, so we, we understand that if it's historical narrative, how do we understand this? How do we interpret this? This is history. This is something that took place. It's not, not poetry, though we read Hannah's song. And in Hannah's song, there are some incredible prophecies. If you remember, we, we studied uh, Mary's song, remember? Mary's song, if you were with us over the Christmas season. And what did Mary do in her, uh, in her song as she re- sang this song about the Messiah that was in her stomach, in her belly, in her womb? She, she quoted Hannah's song. The song we just Maggie just read Hannah's song now it's important that when we when we study the Bible we we identify the genre you've got to understand that you 've got to uh, recognize what 's going on here that we can see this as history that this is this is something we should recognize that this took place in time. These are real people that walk the earth like us you know we 've got to become excellent observers as we uh, expert observers as we look at the scriptures and and um and you know what 's interesting is you look at, uh, at first Samuel, when you look at this narrative, this historical narrative, the first and second Samuel in the original uh, when when we got it originally, they were together, and, and so we can really see this as one big story as it as it comes together and when it 's it inter- 's interesting to identify what 's going on historically. We have to see this because this describes the transition. Of Israelite worship at God's shrine in Shiloh to his worship in Jerusalem what you see is the worship of God moving from Shiloh to Jerusalem and this is what's going on in in history it describes the rebellious transition of the prophet and judge Samuel to kingship with Saul when you think about Samuel Samuel is the last judge remember the book of Judges How God's people were in this state of rebellion and and God would send a judge and and he would deliver the people and they would repent for a while and they were in this cycle of repentance and then they would get comfortable and then they would disobey the Lord and and they and they would rebel against God and God would punish them and it's this constant cycle of of God's people now what's interesting about God's people. It's interesting, especially at this time when when Samuel was born. You, really, when you think about the, the, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel, they really weren't big players on the historical stage. When you think about the big players historically, if you did history and looked at this time frame, you have you have Egypt, they were they were world powers. You had Babylonian, they were world powers. You had Assyrians, they were world powers. And then you have this little nation of Israel, these little kings that are coming from Israel. Now, if you're looking at this culturally, you would say they're not even that important. That, because, you know, you have, you have Israel, Egypt, they were known for wisdom. They were these people that, were, that invented things. They were so wise. You had, you had Assyria, they were just brutal people. Um, they, they were just they were just crazy conquerors, these Assyrians Babylonians were similar and and it 's interesting as this little nation of israel they don 't appear to be very important, but looks can be deceiving can 't they because even though they are not the major world powers from a worldly perspective, they were the people that god had their, had his hand on, and so they shaped history, they shaped the world. when you look at this, you look at at and Saul, he's, he comes into power. We're going to look at Saul, and, and, and we're going to see this transition of Saul to David. And, and there's fascinating stories and fascinating lessons, and I, and I can't wait to, to get into this. And if you're looking, following along in your notes today, point number one is this, and you see this in the book of Samuel as we kind of take a big picture look for a second, that the root of sin is rebellion against God, rebelling against God. And this is where God's people are. That They are stuck in rebelling against the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords. Like the one, the Bible says that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Now think how crazy that is. When you sit down and think about it, why would we ever rebel against God? Why would we not submit to him as king? And when I think about my own life of of things come together when when I submit to him as king, Life is joyful when, when he's my king, when I recognize him as king of all. I mean, I mean joy is, is deep contentment. And I can experience joy when, when I recognize and surrender to the Lord as king. Uh, I think about the, 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 the comfort I feel because of the the grace that this king has shown me. And and I think about the confidence that I get as I walk with the Lord and trust him as king. I think about the power that I have. Like like yesterday, I was with one of our church members who who had to tackle a a, a challenging task yesterday. And he and I were sitting there, and he was like, you know, I I was like, God's going to give you power. And he experienced that. And, and I think about just the, the power that comes in my life when I just say, Lord, I'm going to surrender to you as king. And so it's crazy to me that, that all through history and in our history, we have this temptation to replace God as king. And we shouldn't. You know, it's interesting how this book, and we saw in the video a little bit, First and Second Samuel mirrors our society. You'll see in this book there's, there, there's men abusing women in this book. There's wives betrayed by husbands in this book. There's, there's children going wild in this book. There's, there's corrupt religious leaders. There's conspiracy to murder, murder. There's deceitful politicians. There's power struggles. There's the horrors of war. And and it, and it kind of sounds like a show on Netflix or, or maybe an hour segment of your favorite news channel. I mean, that's what Samuel reads like. It, it's history. And it shows that humans are... We repeat history. We repeat cycles, and and it's important to understand. As you look at the book of Samuel, God is the main character in the book, and it's pointing to the coming Messiah. And and this is how we need to understand the Old Testament. You see Jesus all through the Old Testament. I mean, this let's put this in the proper history. It's it's Old Testament, um, and 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 we can we need to recognize that even in the Old Testament, the the Messiah is evident that's why Mary points back to Hannah as as she uh, sings that song about Jesus in her womb and we've got to be able to recognize every time we study the Old Testament that that the main character of the book is God and the Messiah now this is important this book is best interpreted to us rather than me and that's something I want us to see I want us to see over and over again that as we look at the book of Samuel that, that it's, it's really speaking to us. Sometimes we look at the, like David, and we go, look, I'm David in the story, or, or I'm going to defeat the Goliath in my life. We ain't a king. We are kings. Uh, we're, not, we're not David in the story. But sometimes we tend to uh, interpret Scripture as, oh, this is about me. But, but the reality is, this is written to God's people. It's, it's a, now, let's put it in the big story of Scripture, and I think this is important as we understand this book. Okay, the big story of Scripture, Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world, right? That's the big story. Um, then, then you have humanity's fall into sin, Genesis 3 and 4. Then you have God's purification of the world for, from wickedness, Genesis 6 through 9. I, I read through the one-year Bible in my quiet time. I just finished this. Uh, about the destruction of the world it's funny i, I told robin when, when our kids were born we said let's decorate our, our nursery we're going to do noah's ark and i was like great the destruction of the world that'll be awesome our kids will wake up every morning with god's judgment great they're going to follow the lord because our we still have noah's ark stuff from our kids we're, i guess we're going to save it for our grandkids right that's not going to happen anytime soon is it, Emily? Okay, good. Yeah, that's my daughter right there. She's getting married to that guy sitting next to him. So well, I better stop there. Let's move on. Okay. Then in the, in the big story of Scripture, you see God's plan for healing of the world through Abraham, through his family, Genesis 12 through 22. Then, then you, the big story of Scripture, God's calling Israel to be a light to the nations in the land of Canaan with specific responsibilities if you look at exodus through deuteronomy that's what happens god is preparing israel what are they supposed to do what are god's people supposed to do to be a light to all the nations you know i feel a responsibility to that that's why i, I do pray you set an alarm for 936 and pray that we can be witnesses to people that are around us god's people are called to be a light to the nations children of israel Exodus exodus deuteronomy points to this then you, when you look at the big story of Scripture, Israel's entrance into the land and their general problem was sin. That they were going to the promised land, and you look at this in Joshua and Judges, but they, they, they enter the promised land, but they're, they're constantly rebelling against God, and they're struggling with sin. And now 1 Samuel comes in, where it's the transition from all these tribes to now they are one kingdom. And so that's where it is in Scripture. And Judges, if Judges is the book of no king, because that's the problem with Judges. There was no king in Israel. And what these Judges were meant to do was say, look to God. Look to God as your king. If, if Judges is the book of no king, uh, Samuel is the book of man's king. And, and I'll tell you, we struggle when we take matters into our own hands. And the people asked for a king, and God gave it to them. Now, now Samuel comes into the scene, and he's, it's an incredible, um, he's an incredible character, incredible person to understand, incredible book to understand. Samuel was the last of the judges. He was the first of the line of prophets after Moses. And when you think about Samuel, you see this book, you, you see point number two is this, that disappointment is certain when Christ is replaced as king. And I, I want us to realize that in our church. I'm not the head of this church. I'm an under-shepherd in this church. Um, I'm grateful to be your pastor, and we're called to be leaders. The limitation on that, we got to follow Christ. Disappointment in your life, in the world, all through history, all through the story of Scripture. Disappointment is certain when God is replaced as king. And we recognize this. Idols are unable to keep promises. The Bible's full of, of these foolishness of creating idols that we worship, whether it's idols that we create in gold and silver or worshiping in America, our, our finances, our, our, our security. Look, idols will disappoint. They're, they're unable to keep promises. Idols you shape will eventually shape you. And, and, and don't, don't miss that. And this is the story of God's people. And life is most fulfilled when Christ is first. And we, we see Matthew 6.33, this beautiful statement of Jesus, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And what is added to you? What is it? All things. All things are added to you. Now let's look at chapter 1 in 1 Samuel. And in chapter 1, you see how, how, how God answers prayers. How God is moving here. Verses 1-8 verses through 8 of chapter 1. Look back with me. A certain man of Ramathame, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, and his son Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zup. Aren't you glad I named you Emily? Emily? Um, and, and Epaphrite. He had two wives, okay? He had two wives. Some people go, well, why can't I have two wives? Be grateful that you don't have two wives, okay? That was not God's plan from the beginning. Just because it's in the Bible, some people go, oh, well, see, it's in the Bible. The Bible endorses this. No, God's plan from the beginning was one man, one woman for for a lifetime, okay? When two wives come into the picture, it's always a problem, always. And you see, it's a problem. This is a divided home. Verses 1 through 8 talks about this divided home because these two wives, they're, they're fighting with each other. Why? Because uh, Hannah couldn't have children. She, she was barren. And it says something really interesting in verse 5. Um, uh, the Lord closed her womb. Boy, that's, a, that's an important statement because Hannah is struggling because in that time you wanted to have children. Because the thought was, if you had a lot of children, you were blessed by God. I guarantee you, if, if, if we were able to transport someone from this culture to our culture, they would look at the abortion issue and go, you guys are nuts. Why would you do that? It's a good question. Why would we do that? But, but for, in this culture, they were especially like, look, if you have a lot of kids, you're guaranteed, that's a retirement plan. They're going to take care of you when you're older and you were seen as blessed by God and Hannah was right that the Lord had closed her womb and you know it's a picture of sometimes God delays things for us for something better and God sometimes doesn't answer prayer in our time in our time frame but but we see in this as this story unfolds that God's plan is amazing and and, but you see this difficulty in the home. But you also see, starting in verse 9, you see how prayer makes a difference. I mean, Hannah starts to pray. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. that They had gone to see Eli, and, and Eli was the, was the priest. And, and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, we'll look at them a little bit next week, they were crooked. Eli was, was, a, was a corrupt religious leader. And I'll tell you, this is, this is dangerous. This is terrible. And, and this is why I pray that, that, that you hold me accountable. That's why this class that we're doing on Wednesday is so important, because it's teaching you how to study the Word of God and interpret the Word of God correctly, so that if any of us get up and lead contrary to Scripture, you hold us accountable. That's critical. You, know, you Look, I don't want to fall into corruption. Eli was a corrupt leader, religious leader, and he faced the consequences. His sons were, were, were hideous, And they were in charge of the sacrifices. And verse 8 talks about, or verse 9, excuse me. As they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son... Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. This is a Nazarite vow. And as she continued to pray before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. You know what's sad about this? Eli the priest didn't even recognize someone worshiping God. That shows how corrupt he was. I've prayed, Lord, I don't want to be so in rebellion against you that I don't recognize someone truly worshiping. And, but Hannah answered, no, my Lord, I, I'm a woman troubled in spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I've been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for for all along I've been speaking out my great anxiety and vexation. Well, then Eli recognizes it. He had moments of of godliness, but Eli answered, go in peace. The God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. You know what's interesting? Hannah is more godly than Eli. Because Eli says, okay, the Lord will grant this, and she believed him. She believed him. Well, she believed the Lord. I mean, she took that as a message from the Lord, from this this man. And she said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. I'll tell you what, sometimes I wish I would respond like that when when the Lord speaks to me through his word. Sometimes uh, the Lord will speak to me through his word, and I'll go, well, I wonder if you're really going to keep your promise. I don't want to be that way. I want to be like, Hannah is the the greatest, she's a, a woman. And back in this time, women were not as influential. They didn't have as much power. And it was the woman here who was godlier than the priest. Trusted the Lord more than the priest. And then you see how God provides an anointed son. Look at verse 19. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. That's, that's, they had relation, married relationships right there. They, they conceived right there. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. God answered her prayer. God opened her womb. And you know what Samuel means? His name means the heart of God or asked of God. And see, God was at work, and, and God was, was, was taking this time of struggle in Hannah's life to provide something beautiful and miraculous for Hannah and for the people of God. And it just shows us so many things that, that sometimes God uses that time of struggle to strengthen us and to do in us something beautiful. But, but let's take a closer look at her worship. You know, it, it's interesting when you think about worship. We, we understand worship, right? Tomorrow night, the national championship game's is going to be played, and you're going to see worship on full display, right? Aren't we? Because here's what's going to happen. It's, it's, like, it's like worship of God in many ways, except it's a false god. It's a God that won't deliver. I mean, think about it. All these people tomorrow night will enter into a gate, right? We've entered into worship today. All these people tomorrow night will—they'll be giving each other high fives, right? They'll be walking and going, "Go Tigers!" Right? Tigers are going to win tomorrow. I'm going to be prophetic right now. The tigers are going to win. Yeah, you like that? Someone just got that. Oh, I got that. I got that. Yeah, it's good. I'll be here all week. Um, but, but, but what we do today, we walked in, how you doing, how's it going, good to see you, you know, that's what we did today, you know, uh, what, what are they going to do tomorrow, they're going to be singing fight songs, right, the band's going to play, well, what have we done, we've sung, our band played, you know, I hope that uh, you know, people are going to be getting involved in the game, right, tomorrow, I hope you're involved, I hope that we're engaged today. I, it's my goal. I hope that we're not just boring you. But 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 there's there's rituals that take place. There's going to be a coin toss, right? Well, we have rituals in church with baptism, Lord's supper. You know, the, then people are going to leave and exit the stadium and talk about, man, that coach, man, what a knothead. Why did he do that? And you know, some of you are going to go, man, that preacher, he talks way too long. Man, I'm late to lunch. Dad, gum. Um. But. You know, it's possible that these sporting events, what they do is they draw out the right kind of worship to the wrong God. And point number three is so important because Hannah sets this example. Hannah sets the example for the people of God to discover the right worship to the right God. And that's what I pray marks us. That's what I pray drives us, the right worship to the right God. What is worship? Worship is our, our glad response to the goodness of God. You can tell you worship when you're just responding to the goodness of God. If worship is about, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about my preferences or what I like, what I don't like. It's about God and giving worth to God. Authentic worship occurs when we're centered on God himself and we see that in Hannah. Authentic worship, true worship, what does it do? It produces transformation. Transforms us. And this is what I don't want to miss as we as we engage the book of Samuel. Because the whole book is about God's people creating a a human worship. That's why? I don't I mean I've, I don't think this happens. I sure don't want it to. Because um, I, I talk about my mistakes all the time. So it's, you don't want to follow me all the time. I'm, don't don't worship me. It's like people that come on our church staff and work on our church staff. I'm like, okay, we have to sit down with them and go, all right, hey, guess what? We're normal people. Okay, don't put us on a pedestal. Because we make mistakes. We have flaws. We're human. and And, and so let's... You know, sometimes we worship people. We put that pastor on the, on the stage as, as, oh, well, well we're going to put you above everybody else. No, look, I'm, I'm another blind beggar leading other blind beggars to find something to eat. But thankfully, we have a king of all kings who sees. And our Lord sees and leads and directs. And so what Hannah's doing is helping us. Look, look, at, look at what she says. Um. Hannah's interesting. She starts in chapter 1. She was at war with other people. Paniah, she's at war with her, chapter 1. She's at war with herself. She feels like, I can't have meaning unless I have a son, unless I have a child. I I don't have, that's her own self-esteem. God, uh, I need this to be complete. She was at war with God because she says, God has closed my womb. God, I'm at war with you look how worship transforms your life look at chapter 2 verse 1 and Hannah prayed and said my heart exalts in the Lord my horn is exalted in the Lord my mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation I mean Hannah understood God you've given me joy and this is what worship does. When when I like like today I was sitting here just thinking about the burdens in my life. And when I come and and put and and, and make sure I put God on his throne. Lord, Lord, I'm not going to I'm not going to take you off your throne. I'm not going to I'm not going to turn my face from you. God, you're my Lord, you're my savior, you're king of my life. And when that comes, that's where joy begins, doesn't it? That's where where contentment is and meaning is. And this is why I don't want you to miss the joy of following the Lord, the joy of seeking the Lord every day. Hannah speaks to this. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. It's only the Lord that can save. And it's, and it's in these ultimate moments that I find um, people who have a tendency to say, look, I'm in control of my life, and then they get that phone call from the doctor that says, guess what? There's nothing we can do. Folks, we're not in control. Stop trying to be in control of your own life. Stop turning away from the Lord as king, as Lord, because joy comes. Joy is found. Meaning is found in those that surrender to the Lord those that follow his plan. And we live in this world that says, look, don't surrender to anything. Oh, can I just tell you, you need a savior. You need the Lord. And joy is found when you you come to the Lord and you follow the Lord and seek the Lord. That's where joy is found. Hannah experienced the joy of the Lord. Look at verse 2. There's none like the Lord. For there's none beside you. There's no rock like our God. Notice the transformation that has taken place. Now, now God is a rock. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. And by him actions are waged. Are waged, excuse me. You know, it's interesting as Hannah comes and worships, she, 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 She's the one that sets the example for, for all of God's people here, and they don't follow her. They don't uh, I mean I mean, she sets the example of God being given her joy, of God giving her confidence. You know that confidence comes when you follow the Lord. Confidence comes in Christ. Confidence in, in everything comes in Christ. In, in raising our children comes in Christ. Confidence comes in 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 when you surrender the Lord you walk his his path and and, and You realize how powerful he is. There's no rock like our God none like him Look at this verse 4 the bows of the mighty are broken but the feeble bind on strength those who were full have hired themselves out for bread, but those who were hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. You know what, Hannah, this lady of feeling really bad about herself. Peniah getting on her and making her feel worthless because she has no children. Comes to the Lord, and what does he do? He shows her grace. And he shows her mercy. And this is why, this is what we're When we come and worship, and, 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 and when God is on his throne, we're overwhelmed with gratitude because of what he's done for us. Don't you know what God has done for you? I mean, hasn't he, hasn't he blessed you? Hasn't he led you? Hasn't he helped you? Hasn't he strengthened you? I mean, over and over again, I've, I've watched the Lord strengthen me, help me. Time and time again, I can count of I, I didn't think I could make it. I didn't think I could do it. I didn't think I could follow through. And God strengthens, and he does this all the time. Look at verse 8. She writes, she sings. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from the ash heap. To make them sit with princes and inherit a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet, he will guard the feet of his faithful ones. But the wicked will be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. What she does is she worships. She, She gains strength because of God's protection, God's power. I just want you to know there's none like him. Follow him. Follow Christ. Don't replace God as King of your life. And, and this is why as a, a the story of, of Samuel is about God's people who turn away from the Lord and put their trust in other things. Is that you? Isn't that crazy for us? That we have the tendency to to live our lives knowing forgiveness, knowing grace, knowing unmerited favor, knowing the fact that you can come to Jesus as you are. And, 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 And many of us in this room did. We came to Christ and we said, here's our sin. Lord, forgive me. And what God did is he showed us grace and mercy and he forgave us. He washed our sins away. And then we have the tendency to just turn away from him and ignore him and not look to him and not trust him. And I think about the, the power, that, the movement of God that could happen in this city. If we as a people just said, Lord, we will seek you, we will follow you. At 9.36, you could set an alarm. My phone's down there. You could set an alarm to say, Lord, what is my platform? Lord, help me see you. Help me follow you. Don't miss that. That's the story of a king's tale. Let's make sure we follow the king of all kings and the Lord of all, Lords." You know, we're going to have an invitation today. And and I believe God's word moves us. And you may be here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. Let me tell you something. You don't follow, you don't obey the King to gain access to heaven. No, that's a gift that's been given that you don't deserve. Have you, do you know Jesus as your Savior? Oh, come to him. Come to Christ and see who he is and see what he's done for you. Maybe you're here and you're a believer and you're rebelling against the Lord. Oh, come. Turn back to him. Repent. How has God spoken to you today? Today, we're going to ask various leaders from our church to come down and stand here and be willing to, ready to pray with you. And if if, that's, if you need prayer today, if you need to turn your face to the Lord today, you know, let's not, let's throw away that, oh, if I walk down and get on my knees, people are going to think, oh, man, he's been, God, that guy's going down. No, no, no. We all need to come to Jesus. And this, is, this has got to be a safe place for us, a place that we can just throw out all the pride and all those things and just say, God, we need you. I need you desperate to be a pastor that seeks the king as a king and it's, it's not me, it's him I don't, don't go another day without complete surrender to Christ